Good evening! You've reached the Neptune Project. For all you new listeners, I'm your host, Stan Peck, coming to you from a base far off. Maybe I'm on Neptune. Maybe I'm not. We're about to begin. The music will continue for a second, then I'll be here momentarily. from the Renaissance City, Florence, Alabama. I want to say today, I want to say today, I want to say today that the Neptune Project, now like I said, we are a project in progress. I realize in some podcasts I have mentioned theorists such as Carl Rogers and Abraham Maslow and I am in no way against these professionals. As a matter of fact, I, I promote them in my profession. It doesn't matter to me, if, if they're humanists or atheists or anti-anything or pro-anything, really, many of the great people I've spoken of have done wonders, at least in the fields in which they specialize. I spoke of them in the Christian faith, though, because uh, we, we, well, you know, when I, when I talked about these guys, I, you know, I was basically saying that uh, we promote ideas in the Christian faith that aren't always supportive of some of the things that they profess. However, as a work in progress, I probably am going to be more restrictive in speaking names or possibly even being restrictive of podcasts that I, I just want to isolate this podcast to basically Christian, religious, and spiritual ideas. And I just like to say that uh, the things that these guys, these theorists, all of the people that I have talked about, I have nothing against them, and they are professionals in what they do. I'm for them, but in in Christian matters, we're going to be speaking about Christian things and Christian ideas, and so I just want to separate myself from, uh, I guess, more of the counseling profession that I have spoken some of in the past and some of the past ideas that I have talked about. Like I said, we're learning here. Uh, We're learning. Uh, All right, so much of that. You know, through the grapevine recently, I heard a minister from a different denomination speak about how they express their Christianity through other means than by, well, you know, they'll say things like, you know, I, I've been around many that say God did this for me, or thank you Jesus for doing this, or or, or et cetera, et cetera. And yet, yet this person, these people that I was speaking of from a different denomination, that they were saying that their Christianity for them was less expressive and more of a well, I guess, a cognitive Christianity. Or at least that's what I got from them. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about today about the cognitive versus the emotional versus whatever we we get into on this. But I'd like to begin with a verse. This is from Ecclesiastes 7, 16 through 17. This is what it says. It says, Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Now, all right, think about the first idea I mentioned, that Christianity can be cognitive. Well, I, I guess for some, maybe it 
needs to be more cognitive. Uh, I, I have friends who are who are very introverted, and I, I don't have a problem with introverts or nor extroverts. By the way, I've actually I've taken the Myers Briggs personality inventory myself. You might want to take it sometimes. You can Google it. I think it costs a few bucks, but you can determine your personality style. I bet some of you just might be surprised. And I have no problems being introverted or extroverted. We're all different people. And I'm not that much of a person. They're like like friends of mine that will say, you know, I'm well, I, I'm not that much of a person like friends of mine. Um, who are more extroverted. I'm, I'm good with strangers, and I can ha handle groups of people. But really, to be honest, sometimes I just like to be left alone. But I heard someone say, uh, you know, and I apologize, I didn't exactly hear, hear them say this, but I inferred from their congregation that they had said, well, all Christians have to meet a standard of, well, they either need to be out there evangelizing and be people-oriented, or they're not really Christians at all. And and I think in my early years as a Christian, I, I may have even judged those who weren't evangelizers. I was one of those at one time that was uh, uh, very out there, very evangelistic, and judging anybody that wasn't evangelistic. I, I don't make that mistake anymore. Like I said, uh, uh, I think I said in a prior podcast, a new convert in a nursing home Let's be honest, it's not going to be a huge witness. Um, okay, so so for me to judge a cognitive-based faith is incorrect for me. I think some people will need to mull over and have deep thoughts about the Christian faith. Possibly we need the deep thinkers to figure out the Bible in ways that we haven't heard of before. Okay, now let's go on the other end of this because we're going to be looking at this from two perspectives. Two perspectives today. On the other hand, we have very emotional Christians. Christians that are always, well, praise God this, bless God that. God is moving here. Jesus, I bind that spirit. You've heard these people. In the name of Jesus, do this, do that. Um, we also have the workers out there who make the church move and grow. People that are usually extroverts, who are talented in many ways I can't express. I can be around those people too, and I don't have a problem with either group. Now I'm back to Ecclesiastes. I don't think Ecclesiastes is referring to either type of group I'm mentioning, but it's speaking entirely about putting the righteousness of the law ahead of the purpose of the law. For example, for example, Jesus healed on the Sabbath, which, by the way, folks, broke God's legal law, but not the intent of the legal law the whole thing about him healing on the Sabbath was he didn't break the intent of the law which really was God's heart has his healing trumped the letter of the law in this case so really to be overly, overly righteous is to have a piety that can only be matched by maybe by the Pharisees perhaps and I will say this too I heard a statistic once that 93% of people in mental institutions are religious, meaning we can be extreme in our faith, which is very dangerous to our physical health and mental health. Okay, now let's look at the lower end of the, the other end of this. 
because this one is a little easier to understand. The second part of that verse, be, definitely being wicked, overly wicked, and why die before your time? Being wicked could be to your demise. Overly wicked, the verse says. Does God mean that allows, or does that mean that God allows for some wickedness? Well, let's face it, we're all wicked. The Bible says that no one is righteous. And I think really, though, we have to allow grace to permeate us as sinners to realize that we all have wicked ways. But definitely wickedness and Christian are polar opposites. We don't need to be a fool, like it says here, and allow wickedness to snuff us out. All right, let's go back to the line of thinking of cognitive versus emotional Christians. Here's my take on that. Can I really use as a here's another well here's here's part uh, part of another idea I had on this. Can I really use excuse me? Can I really use myself as a measure to place any sort of burden on how I think any other Christian should handle their Christianity? I mean. Say I am the most evangelical Christian this side of Texas, which, you know, I was fair at one time in this area. Does that mean everyone has to be just like me? Here's the thing. And I want to quote 2 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 7. This is what it says. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, then they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to or be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful. But in person he's unimpressive and speaking, his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that we in our letters, what we are in our letters are, when we are absent, we will be in our actions. When we are present, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. And here's the verse, part of this verse I was getting to. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will combine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. A sphere that also includes you. So we see here that measuring ourselves by ourselves, well, it's not so much of a hot idea, is it? So, what do we do about complacent Christians? Say those who really are never active in their faith. And I, I and really having a cognitive Christianity, I'm speaking against, but having a cognitive Christianity with no faith. No, well, let me let me repeat this. R really having a cognitive Christianity um, I'm not speaking so much against that as having a cognitive Christianity with no faith involved. That's basically what I'm getting at. Um, I'm going to quote a verse in James, but I want to say this first. There's a difference between cognitive Christians who are exercising their faith versus cognitive Christians who never bear fruit. And definitely, definitely there's a difference between those who are always professing the Lord by their words, 
such as those mentioned earlier, those that are saying, bless God this, praise God that. You can bless God with your words, but still never exercise your faith. Now, we're going to go to James, and we're closing up here pretty soon. This is what it says in James. It says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? I think in some versions it says works. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds or works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds or works is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteousness, considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac upon the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous, or you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. Man, can I say that? Now, is manna, that's an 80s word, or man, can I say this? This verse has been very controversial in many ways to many groups and individuals. We all know that in the church. I've heard many a person get up. I've heard many arguments over this verse. I know some who believe James is only talking about a working faith. I know some who believe that if you don't have works in your life, then you have no faith and therefore not saved. The only thing that I can really say about this verse is this, that it, this, about this verse that is accurate and can be scrutinized is this, that when our faith is active, then hopefully as believers as well, um, we are doing what? Doing what believers do. And what is that? Well, you know, according to what I read, God bless the man who doesn't work and believes still. And definitely works aren't required for salvation. Scripture makes that clear. So what do believers do? I'll tell you what they do. They believe. That's what they do. And when we start believing, the major things happen not only in the spiritual world, but in our lives and other lives as well. I think mostly a dead faith is one where only fear is present and no one is moving forward in their faith, right? I And I want to say this. I once had an elder, an elder when I was a teen of our church. He said something that's been profound to me recently. And he said it back then, and I just now remembered it. But he said, we are walking in faith. Or when we're walking in faith, we walk by faith, but if we ever stop and we're not moving forward, then the only direction we can be moving is backward. 
So you're either moving forward or you're or moving backward. And I think that this says, these words says this best, to be perfectly honest. So to everybody out there who claims to be a believer, I leave you with this. I leave you with these words. Believe. 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 And when you can't do anything else, just believe. Okay, I want to hear your responses. You can email me at stanpeck at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. That's all I got today, folks. Until next time, live faithfully, hope abundantly, give grace to all men, and please be looking up.